because I'm still very much like a worst case scenario person. Do you do worst case scenario in your brain? Bridget, that's my, that's actually what I call, I tell people my name is. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm worst case scenario. Nice to meet you. My name is Alyssa. And mine is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels. The podcast where we troll a financial movement, but also reluctantly admit that it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, we're both doing it at the same time. I always forget that. (laughs) And what we're doing is fire. But before we get into that, um, how does your money feel this week, Alyssa? My money feels good, especially considering we're recording this episode on Black Friday. I have not purchased anything today other than one coffee, which is a normal day for me. (laughs) So I feel like I'm doing great this week. I haven't made any impulse purchases, which is something I still do, despite not wanting to admit that. All of my purchases are impulse purchases. (laughs) (laughs) That's because you don't track your money. So how yeah. do you feel about yours this week? Um, Really, really bad. Actually, I'm super stressed out because I got that um, bill from the CRA. So my income taxes got reassessed and I owe, I think, like $4,200. That was a huge number. I was shocked. Usually when I get expenses like this that do upset me so much, I generally find the best responses to like pay it off as quickly as you can. Yes. Because if you if you drag it out, it makes you angry for that much longer. It's an emotional debt. It's an emotional debt. And like CRA doesn't charge a lot of interest. Um, Just heads up in case anyone, because people really worry because it's But they also don't pay you the interest back if they, if you overpay, like I overpay my taxes. (laughs) And then they were like, here's this. Thanks for the loan. Here's your money back. No interest for you. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, they definitely aren't generous, but like their interest rate isn't um that high, so I don't think there's like a rush, but it's yeah, the emotional weight of this debt or this bill is so high for me, like I have to get rid of it, but I'm I first have to like stew about it for usually like 5 days is my time to be <laughs> in a range and then Yeah, I haven't we talked on. about that before? We were like you just need to lean into whatever you're feeling cuz otherwise it lingers so much longer. Yeah, it's way better to like just go into that feeling and like just feel it all out and then move on. <laughs> that money feel it all out. Money feels. Money feel it all out. <laughs> and on that on. note, we can head into the actual point of today's episode. <laughs> okay, let's talk about financial independence. Um First of all, what is what is financial independence? I think when people are talking about financial independence in the context that we're talking about it is essentially financial freedom. You yes. do not have to rely on a job for your income and you can live entirely off of the profits and income from your investments. Yeah, I think there's a difference between financial independence and there's a difference between financial independence retire early. Yeah, <laughs> which is what we're talking about today. Financial also, independence is is just like, a feeling. Yeah, well, I don't know. I've heard some people like sometimes when we say like we want young adults to be financially independent, it usually just means like not living at home and being subsidized by mom and dad, but yeah, or not having it, the restrictions of debt that you have to repay, like living right, life debt yeah. free. But in the context of uh, the FIRE community, financial independence, retire early. We mean financial independence in you legitimately do not have to work 
for income anymore. Yes. Yes, exactly. And yeah, like you said, the annual return on your investments covers 100% of your expenses. That is what traditional FIRE is. And there are so many different types of FIRE that exist. Well, it's become like a really popular movement. Like I think it's been in the personal finance space since I joined because I remember even when I was like, at the beginning of my financial journey, like when I was a brand new blogger, I used to follow that early retirement extreme blog. Oh my gosh, there were there were a few of them that were intense. Like the guy, he used to take cold showers to save on his <laughs> heating belt. Like he was, but granted it was called like early retirement extreme. And his blog was just about all these extreme ways that he was cutting expenses to retire early. And like I looked at sometimes there were good ideas in there and sometimes there was wacky ideas like cold showers, but it has been a movement in the personal finance community, I think for as long as we've been in it. But do you feel there's kind of like a renewed interest? I definitely think the pandemic was a huge part in the shift towards people wanting to do that. I think pre-pandemic, everyone was looking at financial independence in like the sense of I'm going to buy a mobile home and travel the world and like I don't have any expenses so I can be free Mm -hmm. in this sense. But I think since the pandemic, more people are looking for that security and the ability to exit the job market at their own will instead of at the risk of like whatever happens to the economy, whatever happens in their lives, because we all just went through a lot. (laughs) As we talked about already. Yeah, I think, and even now as we're like on the precipice of a recession, a lot of people like realize how scary it is to depend on your livelihood from an external source. And so I think the idea of having it totally under your control is... I, I understand why it's so attractive, but I think it is so difficult to attain that. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's also why I like the different kinds of yeah, fire. That's that what I was going to say too. Like, I think a lot more people are looking at other alternatives to fire because the traditional form of fire is really restrictive. Like you mm-hmm. don't get to live a typical lifestyle that we all were told we should live. So like if you don't want to live really frugally and you don't want to learn to live on less because that's what a lot of people who are trying to achieve fire do mm-hmm. then it might not be for you. So what else can you do to have that peace of mind? Well, just uh, let's define the traditional fire first before yes. we talk about all the offshoots cuz I always made the joke that it was the experience where you could create artificial poverty for yourself temporarily so you could then live in poverty forever. (laughs) Because that's what a lot of these fire advocates did was they were typically earning quite good incomes, usually 80, 100,000, maybe even over that. But they would live on like $30,000 per year and save and invest the rest. And once they accumulated a portfolio that would generate the $30,000 that they needed to live on, um, then they would retire. And what's like the reason this works is because if you are willing to live really small on 20, 30, $40,000 per year, you can actually do that on a portfolio of less than 1 million or just at or around 1 million. 
And that sounds huge. But I mean, if you're making $100,000 and living on 30 and saving the rest, like you can actually get to a million dollar portfolio in 10 or 15 years, as many of these people were doing. But I always like, I don't know, that's just not the life I wanted to live of one of deprivation and that frugally. And I also felt like it was a waste. Like when you have those kind of incomes, if you're making over $100,000 a year, what's the point of living? Like, what's the point of earning on that if your lifestyle looks the same as 30? So I don't know. I've never found it that enticing. No. And then when you do retire, you still can't live a luxury life. Like you still don't get the desired retirement that so many of us want. Yeah, exactly. You have to continue as you are. And in some cases, I get it where um, often they are like minimalist, environmentalist. They do really, they don't want a lot of material possessions. And many of them don't travel or they only do like local travel road trips and things like that. And if it's attached to those other values that you have in your life, where you're both like anti-consumerism as well as fire, then I kind of get it. But that's true. I'm not that person. (laughs) I wish I was. (laughs) I do my part in other ways. But I love things. Things do bring me joy. Some yeah, things bring me joy as well. And like take out coffee, all those expensive things, hot showers. (laughs) Hot showers. (laughs) Just not willing to cut it out. And then There are like some uh, breaks off of that. So before we move into other kinds of fire, I do want to mention that there is a fat fire group and they, they actually do want a luxurious retirement, but then these are typically very high earners. Usually it's two income households that are bringing in 300, $400,000 per year. And they're going to accumulate like three to five or even 10 million. And if you want to get like a close look at these groups, they all have subreddits. Like there's a fat fire subreddit. Oh yeah. There's, and they, there's so many. They're yeah, like there's a so supersized interpretation of fire. It's like you yeah. want over a hundred thousand dollars a year in expenses. Yeah. And, and after and still the workforce. Yeah. And still to retire at 45. That's the other part of it. I don't think we defined retire right. early. These are usually like extreme early retirement. Like 30s, be- 40s. 30s or 40s. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I retire at 60 instead of 65. These are people that are like, I'm done before 45, basically, which is extremely early and extremely hard to do. So I can kind of get behind the fat fire movement. Like I'm like, okay, maintaining my current lifestyle and being financially independent. (laughs) That is like, I'm like, that sounds fine to me because it is my uh, lifestyle. But that one, again, that's even more difficult than traditional fire. And yeah, usually it's two income high earning households. Well, yeah. And I feel like that one is the only option for most people in some senses. Like if you want to exit the workforce and you have kids or if you want to do a lot of traveling, if you want to live in a high cost of living city, or if you have to support elders or loved ones, like you can't do that on traditional fire. The income wouldn't suffice. And just to give people an idea of like how these income calculations work, uh, usually the formula that they use is to calculate your financial independence number. You multiply your annual expenses by 25. So once you have 25 times your annual expenses, so that is to say like if you want to live on $100,000, 
dollars a year, you would need a portfolio of 2.5 million to support that. The other way, which is actually the same formula, but by a different, <laughs> different math is uh, it's the 4% rule. And essentially yes. you can draw down 4% of your portfolio portfolio every year without ever running out. So if you build a portfolio of 1 million, that should theoretically generate $40,000 per year that you can live off of and and never worry about running out. So yeah, whether you want to do times 25 or times 4%, it it works either way. It's just opposite directions. Yeah. That you're and you times that by whatever you want your annual expenses to be, correct? Yeah, whatever amount that you that you want to live on. So like, say you actually wanted to live on $80,000 per year, then you would need a portfolio of 2 million in order yeah. to do that. I think so many people are scared of fire too, because of the, like, if you say you want to live on $40,000 a year, and the cost of living or inflation increases at the pace it is now, then you can't predict those things. You can't predict those things, but it's supposed to be uh, built into the calculation, right? Because we're operating under the assumption that the stock market is actually going up on average 10% per year. That's what the stock market is doing. So Mm -hmm. the idea is that if your portfolio is growing by 10%, you're withdrawing four, that other six is staying in there and continuing to grow. So that's why it should safely because the stock market does outpace out inflation. So it should technically work, but that depends a lot on timing, right? Like it's way, it depends when inflation happens, how that can impact. But again, that's one of the hazards of fire. Like that's a big risk factor. And as you get into, like, I'm sure they go into it in the Reddit boards (laughs) of how to account for uh, those kind of risk factors. Because also what we saw actually in recent years is a lot of the people that were fire, their portfolios were growing by an insane amount, like 20% a year. And so they had planned for this modest 10% growth. And then they had like two years in a row that it was 20, 25%. And so then they're like, oh, we are actually much more richer than we expected. And then obviously the high inflation happened. And kind of offset so, this. Yeah. So they kind of they kind of go hand in hand. It's all it's all attached to low interest rates, right? So it will go together. But yeah, you should you should generally feel safe drawing down four percent of your portfolio per year under the expectation that it is growing faster than that. So you won't run out of money and also have room to keep up with inflation. Okay. So we, if you ha- if you cannot achieve fat fire or like it's not a goal for you or fire isn't a goal for you, can we talk about the other options that exist for people that are a little bit less invasive or aggressive? Yeah, which which one do you want to do first, coast fire or barista fire? I mean, I guess um, barista fire is. I would say that's like I don't know. They're very similar, but barista fire is a little bit closer to traditional fire than coast fire. Yeah. The thing about, so barista fire um, by definition is you still work and save aggressively and amass a giant portfolio, but not so much that you can exit the workforce entirely. Instead, what you do is you can go down to part-time hours at your job or like switch from an employee to like a consultant, or you can actually go get a little part-time job like a barista. That's why they call it barista fire. (laughs) Yeah. And that is actually a really good uh, method, I think. And I think that's especially good for people that are in high stress jobs where they're really vulnerable to burnout. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can't or don't want to stay in that job so long to amass the portfolio you need 
to retire completely. But there's like a big difference between being like a corporate lawyer working 80 hours a week and just like making lattes two mornings a week. Yeah. And it still gives you like, because some people love work and like, like having an obligation to go to. So this gives you a little bit of freedom in both ways. Yeah. Because and just like, I know we don't always defend capitalism here, but I do want to defend work on some respects that often our workplaces give us more than just a paycheck. Like we do get social interactions, some community, we do get the experience of just like, leaving our home and interacting with the world. Like that's one of the things I hate about working from home and why I so often like go out and I even have office space because I like that experience. And so uh, I think there's good reasons to continue working, even if it's in a part-time capacity or in a lower paying, low stress job. And the nice thing about that is, yeah, maybe you build a portfolio and you need to live, let's say you need to live on like $5,000 a month. That's what you want. You have a portfolio that gives you $4,000 a month. And then maybe you do something part-time that gives mm-hmm. you the extra $500 a week, $2,000 a month. And so you still get to like retire and go way down in hours, but yeah, you have to work a little bit, but it's still way less stressful than depending on your entire income to come from an investment portfolio. Yeah. The burdens, it's just lower. You're if you have an active income. Yeah, I like the barista fire idea a lot because I feel like I'm one of those people that will always work in some capacity. Like I don't know what work I will do in my 50s, 60s and so on, but I don't actually like see myself just at home <laughs> and shopping, <laughs> shopping with my money from my portfolio online. <laughs> I, I feel like I would like to do something and if I get paid for it, that's kind of a little bonus. <laughs> How do you, do you know how to calculate barista fire? That one, it just kind of depends on what part-time work you are getting and how much that will pay. And then the portfolio you need to make up for that. So it's like your annual expenses minus your monthly income that you would get. Okay. Exactly. And then times that by 25? Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's it. Annual expenses minus your active income times 25. That's your barista fire number. All right. I hope people are writing these down while they're driving. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. And then should we talk about our favorite form of fire, which is post fire? And Alyssa and I have a webinar where we really go into the details of this. So if you're interested in a coast fire strategy, we have one which we called Coast Fine because it's actually (laughs) financial independence, not Not early. early. (laughs) And it's the Coast Fire retirement strategy. So do you just want to tell people, oh, wait, uh, to get that webinar, I think it's just at coastfine.ca. Or it's also, yeah, it's also with my courses. Your courses. Uh, But do you want to tell people what that one is? Sure. So Coast Fire is when you front load your retirement account contributions early on in life, and then you let compound interest carry you the rest of your way towards your FIRE number. And that would be like, this would be the first step if you wanted to get to full-blown FIRE at one point. Yes. But this is also one in it that's a step in itself because you can also just coast to retirement too. Yeah, which is is the best part. So like personally, (laughs) I'm trying to hit Coast Fire by 35, which I would need $100,000 invested by Mm -hmm. that age. And then 
if I want, which I cannot do because I have money trauma, I would stop (laughs) investing in my retirement accounts completely. Um, But for me, it's like, I would just be able to be like, you know what, I'm going to put $50 this month, $500 this month. Like it's just extra now. Yeah. Because I've already done what I need to do. Relief. And I love that you said 35 because I actually think 35 I love as an age for calculating your coast fire because it's the easiest mathematically if you're retiring at 65. So if you invest $100,000 by age 35, by 65 traditional retirement age, it should grow by 10 times that amount. So you'd actually have 1 million at age 65. And even if you never add another dime, like that's the hack from this is you could stop contributing and your hundred thousand would still grow to 1 million. And that's why it offers so much financial security for people. Because even if you have to keep working, like you're not full fire, but to have the relief that you don't necessarily have to contribute to your retirement accounts anymore, it frees up money for other things. Like if you have small kids, it you can spend on them. You can go on more vacations. You like essentially just relieves a big financial stressor, which is having enough money for retirement. Yeah. I think that's why it's our favorite because we know how much anxiety we have about the future. And so this is like, this is the ultimate step to eliminate that anxiety. I liked it because it was such like a lazy approach. Like I love (laughs) whenever there's like a financial shortcut, I'm like, that's the one that I want to do. And when I I love that you call it a shortcut, but it's actually still very difficult. Okay. It's more like a sprint, right? (laughs) Like I would rather work really hard for like a few years and then coast the rest rather than um, do a slog for like my entire working lifetime. And that's kind of what Coast Fire is, is it requires you to save and invest like quite a bit. Like you should, if you're going to undertake this strategy, you should be on the mindset that you're going to be saving 20% or more of your income because that is just what it takes. Like it's not easy. It's a big undertaking, but the payoff is you only have to do that for a really short while. Once you've loaded up those accounts, then you can scale back or stop entirely and you'll be fine. And I always thought it was funny. I actually hit Coast Fire by accident because I found out about it in like my late twenties. And I remember I'm like, oh, this sounds so cool. I'm going to calculate it. And I put all my numbers into like a calculator and I was already coast fire at like age 29 or 28. I can't remember now. I remember the number was like really low. It was like (laughs) $85,000 because that's what happens. Like the sooner you start it, like the lower the number can be because compounding does all the work. If you know anyone in your life who's like 18 right now, this is the best (laughs) gift you can give them is telling them about coast fire. They won't care at 18. No, I had a hair appointment and my hairdresser was 19 years old and I broke up my phone and started doing the calculations for her to tell her how much she needed to save based on her income. And I was like, if you do this by 30, you won't have to worry about retirement anymore. And she's self-employed as a hairdresser. So she was like, wait, this is really smart. And I was like, yeah, that's all you need to do. It's it's so nice. Like Coast Fire personally, like really freed up a lot for me because... I was already coast fire when I like decided to go full time 
into my work and like building my company. And I did not contribute to retirement those years. I also like, I don't think I put anything in my accounts the first year I had my baby either. But because I had already assets in those accounts, they continued to grow, even though I wasn't contributing to them. And so I didn't fall behind. And that was so nice, because I was already like, so stressed out during those times in my life, uh, building a company, having a baby, blah, blah, blah. And to not also be like, oh, crap, I'm falling behind in my retirement contributions. It was just such a relief. Yeah, I love it. And I think a lot of people need to hear that too. Like, I have also not contributed to my retirement accounts, but I've also not contributed to my kids' RESPs because I needed to choose one or the other. Like I had to focus on (laughs) retirement and I was like the better gift reminder to self, like the better gift to my kids is my own retirement account. Because once I'm done the coast fire journey, I still have 10 to 15 years to save for my kids RESPs, but now I have way more money to contribute to those accounts in that shorter period of time. Yeah. Parents really struggle with that because it is hard. Like when you have kids and you do have to do so much for them, like daycare, extracurriculars and an RESP, it's really hard to choose. Should I say for myself or should I say for them? Because I think as parents, they all want to set their kids up best for the future. But if you do it at your own expense of your long-term financial security, you're not helping them. You're just creating like a future burden. And Mm -hmm. I think people don't think of that. So I'm also like very pro your TFSA is the most important account. And then basically everything else comes after that. But your TFSA and RSP should get some money before your children's RESP as difficult as that is to do Mm -hmm. as a parent. And you can catch up on RESPs. Like I'm catching up on my daughters like the past two years and next year I will still have to catch up on one because I didn't max it out her first few years of life because I just... I didn't have the money to do so, but yeah. I'm doing it now and that's that's fine. So you can catch up. I agree. I Yeah. And just like the part of the financial independence that that's what you get. So like if you want to have more time and freedom to spend with your children, then yes. that's the real benefit of Coast Fire. Yeah. And also like just giving you choices in the future too. Like I... I think about that a lot, like, because I also wrestle with like taking care of my own finances and setting up my child. But like, I think it's just better for me to have a lot of money. And then I can choose like what financial gifts and what financial support to give her later, rather than just like maxing out the RESP and hoping for the best for both of us. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I I can't wait to get into that when we talk about diet with zero. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll record that episode next. Um, Okay. And then the last form of fire that we haven't mentioned yet is actually lean fire. Do you want to touch on that one a little bit? I feel like that's a lot like the traditional fire and that's just like living extremely frugally. But what what is interesting about these actually is because I made a spreadsheet, as I always do, to just (laughs) function in my life um, to compare these different uh, fire strategies. So when when you're on the fire path, these are actually like steps all along the path. You cannot go through, you cannot achieve one without doing some of the others first. So Coast Fire is the first step on your journey to fire. I would say Barista Fire's probably next. Yes. And then Lean Fire is um you can retire but on a less lesser life than you're yeah, currently. Yeah, it's like the living. first net worth benchmark. Yeah. 
for when for the when you can stop working altogether. Yeah, and a lot of people like some people do do lean five, but it is the it is showering in cold water. It's less than forty thousand dollars a year. Is that what for they, expenses? That is what yeah. they qualify lean fire as, and it's yeah, you're living on a bare bones budget. To I don't think you can live on that in Canada unless you own. But that's what I mean. I think that's the motor home form of fire. Yeah, that's a, what are those tiny homes or like the RV? Tiny homes and a yurt. Some people choose their homesteading yurts and I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, and then it's like traditional fire and then fat fire is, that's the spectrum. Fat fire Uh, just sounds so fun. I just love that it's called fat fire. And their forum is actually fun. I'm not on Reddit, but occasionally I will like peek in it and they are like, uh, should I get a personal trainer or <laughs> like a chef in my home? And I'm like, these guys know how to live. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, but like, I don't want people again to feel like obligated that they have to pursue any of these no. because you can still have a financially secure retirement, even if it's not. Uh, fire financial independence retire early like there's nothing wrong with retiring at 65 or 67 but if you do want some additional financial security it is kind of like it's a fun thing to think about and like for me personally can I delve into this like bizarre spreadsheet that I created please people love the spreadsheets just as much as we do yeah but they'll want it after this podcast and I still haven't made like a nice one. Mine always looks so bad. I'm like, I can't show this to people. That's why I purchased a spreadsheets course. Cause I was like, I need to get better at this. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I sh- oh, okay. Well, I, I made this spreadsheet in anger because a woman was mean to me on TikTok. What? <laughs> Did you not do you not remember this? Someone uh made fun of me for like still grinding and they were like, I Oh yes, I remember that comment. Yeah, she's like, have fun grinding because I retired at 38. And I'm like, I could retire right now, I think. And then I actually like put it in a spreadsheet and just like I was surprised to learn I was coast fire so many years ago, I learned that I was actually like lean fire already. And I was like, oh interesting. And I didn't really do uh, fully the 25 times your income or 4% portfolio. What I did instead is I I looked for like two-bedroom condos in my neighborhood or my city. You got ultra-specific. Yeah, because I, I was like, I just wanted to be sure. And I looked at the prices of them. And then I'm like, okay, imagine I like sold my house and used the equity to buy one of these condos. And then how much money would I have left? I would add that to my like TFSA RSP, this is now my portfolio. It generates 4%. Can I live on that? And I actually listed like all my expenses and it it tells me like how much it covers. So I was already lean fi and now I'm just on like the working through the normal fire column. And I think I'm still like, I think I need like $500,000 more in my portfolio and then I'll be like normal fire. But I live a fat fire life. So I have a long time. To go that. <laughs> but it was like an interesting exercise to actually see the numbers. And like, granted, I live in a very, very low cost of living city. Like I live in Edmonton, Alberta, where you can actually buy a two bedroom condo for under $200,000, right. believe it or not. So but maybe if you're thinking of like a fire plan, like once you're not tied to your job, you can go move anywhere. So maybe you mm-hmm. do want to say like, 
where is housing cheaper? Because that happens a lot for a lot of people. That's what many people with fire do. Yeah, because they earn these incomes in these really high paying urban centers like uh, San Francisco or New York. And then once they amass their portfolio, they actually do some geo arbitrage and move to a lower cost of living city. So that's something to consider as well. And that's what I was I was doing because like my fire life would require me to downgrade significantly. But it was like kind of a fun exercise to just price it out and see what that would look like. That's really good advice because I have not done that yet. I think to me, it's like intimidating to see how much work you have to do to achieve those things. So I've scared myself out of not doing the calculations past Coast Fire. I think it's more for me, like once I hit Coast Fire, then I can look at the next form of fire. Fair. And that and that makes sense because I am already Coast Fire, even though I keep having to adjust it because <laughs> like when I was first Coast Fire, I was like, yeah, $1 million is enough to retire on. And now that I've had so much lifestyle inflation as I've aged and have a child, I'm like, I could not live on $1 million, which would generate $40,000 per year. I mean, or I could live on that, but I wouldn't be able to live in like the house that I do and things like that. I would have right. to get rid of my car. I but yeah. well, well, your your house will be paid off before you retire. Yeah, but, but I guess not before fire. Not before not fire, before fire unless I actually yeah, and actually unless I do it. But it was I don't know. For me, it was like I was just doing this as an exercise in my because that TikToker was like keep grinding, and I'm like oh. <laughs> I don't have to grind. That's kind of fun for me. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, but it was like, it was an interesting exercise for me just to consider because I'm still very much like a worst case scenario person. Do you do worst case scenario in your Bridget, that's my, that's actually what I call, I tell people my name is. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, I'm worst case scenario. Nice to meet you. (laughs) But I do think sometimes, or I'm like, what actually happened if I if I lost my income. No, I love that you did that. It's kind of like having three paths of like what could happen. I don't think that's worst case scenario. It's more like if I wanted to achieve this certain thing, what would be the three potential options for getting to that point? And like, that would be the lowest option. Like that wouldn't be your ideal option, but it is an option. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it was like, it was reassuring in a way that I do feel like I've achieved some, financial security for myself and my daughter, if I could, like, I would be devastated to like sell our home and stuff. But it's nice to know I could just move into two bedroom condo and we would be okay no matter what. But yeah, again, that's like planning for the absolute worst, not what I want to do. Um, Right. But I still do that. I, I think like Nick and I have a lot of conversations about like, yes, we bought our forever home. But one day, I I can see myself living downtown and just having everything walkable and not having as many expenses, which I think is why I don't stress about retirement as much as other people do. Right. Other people want like are assuming they're living the exact same lifestyle. I'm like, no, I know I will want less. I I would prefer to have less things so that I'm less stressed. Yes. So I can envision that lifestyle easier than others maybe can. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the other reason I think like fire is so hard when you're young because you do want to do so many things like travel and have different experiences. Whereas like, I know when I'm an old lady, like my plans so far are only to like, listen to true crime podcasts and do puzzles. Yeah. Like that's what, 
why wouldn't you want to do those things? That's that's the only <laughs> way I want to spend my retirement. And I thought we were going to do pickleball together. We were going to win pickleball champion. Oh yeah, you did bring that up. Yes, <laughs> I will. I'm excited to do that as well. And so, yeah, I think like young. Like, I think fire is so hard because you're young and your expenses are typically typically high. Like if you're under. 45 and retiring, you're still in like a very high spend era of your life. Well, the reason, reason fire is really hard is because there's really only three things you can do to achieve it. Like you have to reduce your expenses, make more money and then invest more aggressively. Three hard things. (laughs) Those are not, none of those are easy. And then extra hard when you have to do all of them. Exactly. Which most people would have to, um, if they're not in their twenties. Yeah, I did find it easier in my 20s in a lot of ways because I had less expenses. Now that I have my daughter, it's much harder to be aggressive with my investments, which is another reason I'm so glad that I was like fanatical in my 20s about saving and investing because it is much tighter now. Yeah, and I and again, that's like another benefit of Coast Fire. It's it's not as intimidating when you look at the numbers, which if you do take our webinar, you will find like it's way less scary than this might sound. And you're probably way closer than you realize. I think that's what surprises a lot of people. I Because it seems impossible too that the amount that you invest by 35 grows 10x by retirement. Like you're just like, that's insane. But it like you can do the math over and over and it absolutely works. And so even if you're not at that point, like let's say you've saved like $60,000 by age 35, that still will grow to 600,000 yeah, by that's retirement. Incredible. And it doesn't mean like stop saving. Like you can still keep saving after 35. I do. And so if you didn't hit that milestone at that point, like you still do have time to be like, I think Coast Fire is accessible for anyone like under 45. Once you're over 45, if you haven't started, it's going to be much tougher for you. But if you're under 45, you have so much time to build that portfolio. Yeah. I think when we were going through the webinar, people were commenting in the chat, like every couple of minutes being like, oh my gosh, I've already hit Coast Fire. I had (laughs) no idea. I'm like, well, that's great. That's why we're here. So, (laughs) and yeah, and again, I just want to emphasize for people because sometimes they get anxious if they're not Coast Fire. That doesn't mean you're not going to have a secure retirement. It just means you have to continue to keep saving and investing. You can't quit like the Coast Fire people can. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But they don't because usually that's the other thing. A lot of these people that are aggressive savers, it's, I think it's really hard to switch gears. Like you tell them, like I'm coast fire. I haven't stopped saving and investing. That's one of the reasons I'm like headed towards fire now. It's more like I can't stop. It's not, (laughs) it's not that I have a goal. It's just like, well, I can't just not put money away. Oh, see, I was going to ask you, like, what is your goal? Is your goal fat fire or are you just investing until you feel comfortable? I don't think about it anymore, which sounds weird. So this, yeah. But maybe you don't have to because you you know you're secure. So I was thinking about this before um, our podcast. It's like, it's just really hard for me because my income is so variable as a self-employed person that it is currently impossible for me to know what income I will be earning. Like, 
I, th- I have a good idea like next year and the year after I have a pretty good idea, but it might be like wildly different at 45 or 50. And when I say that, I mean, it could go down to like $50,000 a year, or it could be a million dollars a year. Like I have legitimately no idea mm-hmm. what my finances will be for the rest of my working lifetime. And so that's why I find it like really. Have you plotted that into your five-year window? Oh, of my time. Yeah, like your what you want it to be, and then done your goal setting based off of those made up numbers that are manifesting. <laughs> it's something that I'm revisiting now because I have hit the income goal that I wanted for this phase of my life. Woo! And <laughs> but I haven't thought seriously about past that because I do I like where I am now. Like it's it's comfortable. So I would be happy if this continues the rest of my life. Um, I also feel like if this continues, I won't need it as much because once you kind of take care of those really big expenses, like once you've maxed out your TFSA, your RSP, and you have a little bit extra, you pay down your mortgage, like you don't need to earn a ton more. Like, what do you, I don't know. I, yeah, what's I've it never, for? I, yeah, I have no idea. I've never like been a rich person for a long time. I don't know what rich <laughs> people do with their money. It seems like a lot. If, you, if you've if you maxed out all those accounts and paid off your more, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess that's when early retirement makes sense. But no, I just like, I feel like too much of my financial future is unknown. It makes me really hard to plan. And because I don't feel like I have a job that I need to leave, I don't feel that... Does it make you feel anxious that you don't know? No, because I'm 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 okay dealing with that. You you are the one that has issues. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's why I avoid planning past five years. So when I started doing the five year windows, I'm like at a complete loss. I was just digging for information. Like, tell me what you do now. (laughs) Unknowns don't bother me, which I think is funny because I think a lot of these calculations for fire and how much do I need for retirement? Like people want to have control over this really, really big unknown in the future. And I think I've kind of just accepted that I don't know what my income will be. I don't know what things will cost. And I'm just like at peace with that. I just think I will probably be fine because of the work I've already done and just the way that I work. Like, I think that's why I like Coast Fire because it's one number you can actually see, you can work towards it. It doesn't have to be the end of your saving, but it gives you the freedom. Like I personally have not planned past Coast Fire, like I mentioned. I also don't know what my income will be, but I do have income goals that I've set forth. And so like I could estimate where I would be based on those income goals. But again, I think that's doing too much math though. Like, don't, do you find it helpful to do those estimates or do you think you just like get bogged down in like fake data? Cause that's the other thing I think when a lot of people do these calculations and even I felt a little silly doing like my spreadsheet with this like two bedroom condo, I'm never going to buy (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) Like we tend to just do more and more mathematical calculations hoping they will make us feel more secure about like the big unknown in our life. And sometimes I'm just like, you know what, this is all speculative and made up. There's no reason for me. to. Yeah. I like what you always say, which is like, focus on what you can control. Mm -hmm. And so like, what can we control? Like, let's give people a list of things that they can control and list of things they can control. 
Well, the things that you can control are your income. People don't really like to believe that all the time, but Mm -hmm. yeah, your income is, is one of the things that you can control, whether you're going to acquire more skills, get uh, get a raise at your job, get a new job, whatever. Like your income is actually largely in your control. Your savings rate is in your control. That's how much you put aside in savings. Your expenses are mostly in your control to a point. Like, I mean, housing and childcare are what they are. Yes. Um, and then like, yeah, whether or not you go into debt is within your control and things like that. So those are all within your control. The things that are not in your control that people worry about and they think like doing math will help them not worry about is the inflation, stock market returns, um, like what the price aging. of things. <laughs> aging. Yeah, people, people are having, I have a hard time accepting aging, but yeah, we tend to forget that that's like one of the factors. That's, this is dark, but that's also what I think about when I'm like doing these things. Like, I don't think about myself in like 50 or 60 because I don't know, like, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and you're just like, that was it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think that's why I don't like, like, I don't like traditional fire. I want to enjoy right now. And I feel like I lose a lot of that if I were to reduce my expenses to that extent. Yes. I also think that it's really hard to plan for, like we all are planning for our life to go the ideal way, right? We're planning that our income will be consistent and growing, that we won't suffer any critical illness disability or other hardships that we won't go through a divorce that we won't lose our spouse like they won't pass away we hope that we won't have to like become a caregiver to someone we all hope we don't have to survive a natural disaster um or another catastrophic event and the reality is just because i'm sharing cheerful things for everyone is like (laughs) one or many or all of those things will happen to you in your lifetime. And trying to construct a portfolio that's designed to just say, my life will always be the way that it is, is not that safe. Yeah. And usually it's me bringing the house down before we end the (laughs) podcast episode, but I'm really feeling good that it was you this time. (laughs) I Okay, I don't want to end on something uh, that's like because I think I think there are a lot of things um, that are valid in the fire movement and early retirement. I just want people to not necessarily like become obsessive about it, hoping that it gives them control over something that is largely uncontrollable, which is life. Yes. That didn't really improve it. Did no, it, it did. I'm going to improve it. I hope I might, <laughs> I might flounder here, <laughs> but I think that what you really need to focus on when you're thinking of fire is the FI part. Like the financial independence part is what really matters. It's not necessarily about who retires the earliest and like mm-hmm. who has, who lives the best life based on these like really unpredictable milestones. But yeah. instead it's like, what do you value in life? If you value independence, if you value freedom and time and security, then it is something to strive for. Whether you hit it or not, it's still good to be on that path. You don't have to achieve every single goal you set forth to achieve. If you're doing all of the things to try and get to fire and you still don't hit it, you probably will be doing more than enough and way better off than the average Canadian would be. 
Yeah. Like what's the worst thing that can happen if you are trying to invest for 1 million and you hit $800,000? Like that is still amazing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think like we are way too hard on ourselves because we just assume that it has to be this one big number. Yeah. When in reality, like that number is, is made up just like everything else on planet earth. (laughs) And there is my negativity (laughs) for today. I think that says it all then. Yeah, I think that was a great episode. I feel like we learned a lot about many different types of fire. I might be going for a barista fire after after Coast Fire. I really like the sounds of it after we chatted about it today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. And for you, like barista fire would probably be just like some freelance work. So you could just... Or maybe I will work at a coffee shop and I would get free coffee. Like my expenses would reduce significantly, like 90% think- of my expenses coffee. I think about that all the time, like that it would probably actually be nice to work in a cafe, like just two afternoons a week. I would get to talk to people. I would finally learn how to make a cappuccino. Yeah. Maybe we were wrong thinking Coast Fire is the best and Barista Fire is where it's at. That'll be our next webinar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be berated by customers, though, because I didn't froth their milk properly. All right. Thank you. It has nothing to do with money anymore. That's when we know it's time to stop. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for another episode next week. If you like the show, you can support us for $0 by leaving a review about all of the reasons you are in your money feels after listening to today's episode. Follow us on Instagram at Mixed Up Money for Alyssa, at Bridgie Casey for me and Money Feels Podcast. And we'll see you next time.